0: This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith, as you well know. Uh, this is another episode recorded live at the Gilded Balloon at last year's Edinburgh Fringe. We've got just four left after this one. Uh, and this one could have gone on and on and on very happily indeed. Um, with a lot to say and an admirable candour, which is uh, always my favourite combination, this is the phenomenally funny Ed Byrne. <laughs>
1: put your legs back now (laughs) thank you
0: ed thanks for coming
1: how are you i'm good i'm very well i'm very well nice to be here the question i get asked most often is in all the times you've been coming to the fringe what what's you what's big changes have you seen okay and for me it's more people are doing podcasts yes that's the thing absolutely i I had no idea when this thing was invented, that allowed me to carry my record collection around in my pocket, that it also meant every day I'd be talking to another comedian for their podcast. But thank thanks you. for coming.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, this will be um, a slightly different conversation to ones that you've had before. If you'd like to buzz in at any moment, if you feel we're trotting <laughs> trotting path that's uh, if we're treading path that's too well worn, I'd be happy with that because I'm uh, I'm keen not to. Uh, go down the route of any other podcast cool. that you've, you've done before. You know
1: what, dude? This is the closest I'll ever get to being on inside the actor studio. So I'm just good. Happy. Okay, well, let's okay. go with that. So.
0: Fine. <laughs> happy days. So, if you'll permit me, just some uh, generic kind of warm-up questions for the first five minutes. <laughs> Tell us about your show. How's, how your, how is your show this year progressing? Are you happy with it?
1: Uh, yes, and I will admit, and I hope that, you know there'll be people listening now who'll probably demand their money back then because I wasn't entirely happy with the first three. Okay, having done all previews and and by and large had them go well. And I was ending on a joke that I thought worked. Re- when, when you're writing a new show, your, your opening joke and your uh, your closing joke is your most important one. And I thought, you know, I was really happy with my closing joke. <laughs> I went, now I just have to write all the bits in between. Okay. And grand. And then I brought it up here, delighted with it. And I would get to the end every night and go, like, oh, this, this closing joke's not a closing joke, is it? Oh shit! And that was okay. yeah, that that was a bit worrying. But now I have a closer. Okay awesome
0: clothes. Is it that you've fixed the existing clothes or that you've gone I've moved route?
1: what the, I've moved the clothes to the middle now. Okay. It's been relegated. Okay. yeah, Which is a really it's like it's like when they move something from prime time into daytime. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it's not a good sign for a joke. Uh, I sat it down and I broke it to it and so you're just not. it's not working out. Can we've, you tell us we decided to go another way. Let, let's get specific well, about not, it. What What was the joke? Would you mind telling us what was the joke was? I have a thing in the show uh, about um uh, there, are, I have rules as to who can be my friend and who can't now sure, because okay. I have too many friends because I have children now and I don't have time to see the friends I've got plus I have new friends who got to be my friend just because they have children the same age as mine mm-hmm. which I think is a sneaky way into my life. <laughs> That's sort of my wife likes your wife well I guess I'm going on holiday with your dull fucking arse for the rest yeah. of my life. <laughs> uh, so so there's so I have this thing about and I've different triggers about you know while go I can't be friends with you like if you use this phrase or you do that mm-hmm. you do this and so one of them is if you have ever said oh I've touched a nerve there I think people who say that I hate people who say I've touched a nerve there because that's you know it's they say that's what somebody says somebody says that to you when they've insulted you and you've and you've had the temerity to get offended by their insult mm-hmm. and then they take that to mean their insult is true and it's just a horrible conversational gambit to just pull on somebody you're a terrible father. What do you mean I'm oh, a terrible father? Touch a nerve there. And it's sure. just, I will touch your nerves and not in a nice way. And so I say to the audience, say, if anybody of you have ever said this, take this home from, with you and write it on your mirror and never forget it. You are a worthless, slimy maggot. A worthless piece of shit. And your only way to make yourself feel better about yourself is to make other people feel worse about themselves. And if that hurts to hear... I've touched a nerve there. Sure. Which I think it's nice it's a circular it's got to size it all up and all was going it, it had been working really really well and I don't know whether I'm putting too much into it and people could see the see the end coming or what but it just wasn't flying. Okay. And what I had been closing with or what I had been like before that I've been I've been telling a story about a vasectomy a, a potential vasectomy. Yeah. That's, that's very funny and has a lot of lines in it and, and, and towards the end it, there's some very funny you know, jokes in it. Mm-hmm. But it's a weird thing is that even though there's big laughs in it, I could close on the biggest laugh, but it's like you, you'd almost leave the audience going, yeah, but and then what happened in the story? Okay. It's like the actual okay. end of the story isn't particularly funny. Sure. You know what I mean? You just, sure. And just can't, you can't just go big laugh and then go, oh, and so then we decide not to do it after all. Good night, you know. Yeah, okay, okay. So that's why it needed to just, even though it was big laughs, myself out thought, oh, okay. but it's not, it's not, it's a funny joke, but it's not a closing joke. Sure, it's, you know that, that's the funny sure. thing about when you when you're doing an hour long show, you, it needs to have just that sort of level of structure where your closer's going to be a bit big.
0: Sure. How, where, where did you? At what point do you think you learnt that in particular? In terms of like lessons you've learnt as a comedian. I mean, everyone always says you close on your funniest bit. So that's quite a... a sort Open of sophisticated with your second
1: funniest joke, close on yeah. your funniest joke.
0: Yeah. yeah. And and like, yet yeah, you're looking at it from the perspective of, OK, that might be the funniest joke, but that still doesn't mean it's right for the end. Yeah. When did you kind of catch on to that? That's obviously, you've been a comedian for a very long time. And that's quite a sophisticated... You know, that's like another level of... Yeah, I don't know. It.
1: And it's one of those things that you don't consciously uh, think about. I don't think... That much, I think it's something you maybe learn instinctively at first, and then and then make more conscious decisions on as you, as sure. you go on, as you get as you get better at, at, at working out what what is, as I say, what constitutes a closing joke and what doesn't. Generally, like a lot of comedians, I'll see, particularly if they're doing a big long themed show, they'll finish on something quite emotional, like it's a best man speech, yes, you know, okay. and they'll finish on you know, call your dad, because yeah, you might yeah. never see him again, or something like <laughs> sure. that, where it's all very some kind tear-jerky. of emotive message yeah. at the end of it. Yeah. And uh, I, I've never gone that far. Okay. Because I'm not deep enough. Okay. I don't do sincerity very well, honestly. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, no, I, I, I just think I, I, something that's got that's got a nice build to it, rather than just a funny one-liner. I always think is a nice way to, okay. to, to, to get off.
0: And where in the lifetime of this show are we now? You were doing previews. This is the show opening before it goes on tour. Yeah. Or is it okay? Because exactly I, I wondered I w- when I saw you a few, I mean, it was more than a week ago now. Uh, I wondered, you had a table with you. I wondered if you had notes on it for the show. Were you still at a stage where you were looking at the running order? Or I was...
1: did have a cheat sheet. I had a cheat sheet uh, for the first three nights I needed it. And then okay. I just kept showing up because there was nothing else in the room before me around like that. So it just got left on that table. Okay. And I didn't need it anymore. And I kept going, I must remember to remove that. Sure. Because I always think as well that people are coming along going, he's got notes. Yeah this isn't all off the top of his head at all. Because even though people know that you've written a show and stuff like that, you still create a, 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 an atmosphere and an image. and we, well, I think we all kind of go along with it together as, a, sure. as if you're just talking off the top of your head, even though we all know that's not the case. And I think notes, you know...
0: It kind of breaks that illusion a little bit, doesn't you it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So I,
1: uh, yeah, I, was, I, was, I, I did get rid of, it. and they were, it, they were a bit of a Dumbo's feather as well, and that I didn't really need them anymore. I just liked to have them sitting there.
0: Sure. Okay. I think that's often the case. I see a lot of comics on the circuit who still write things on their hand before they go on.
1: Yeah, and some of them just do it because they want to be Stuart Lee. Some yeah. Right. That, okay. Yeah. Some people just do it because they just want to look more comic. Oh, I've
0: been having thoughts and yeah. making notes. People just yeah. went "Oh,
1: look, I've got scrawls all over my hand like I'm that bloke in Memento," and <laughs> it's uh, Guy Pearce. Yeah, isn't it? Oh, ironic because I forgot his name. <laughs> <But> <laughs> and I think people do that sometimes just to make it look like they're more of a they're working harder.
0: Okay. I've been scribbling this
1: shit down all yeah. day.
0: Certainly, uh, something I'm very guilty of and a lot of other acts I've known uh, do the same thing is I've got a notebook and I'll write down my set list before I go on I'll, I'll write down the set list. And then I look at the book later and it's just the same set list written over and over again <laughs> countless times.
1: It's an, I've, seen a few, I've seen people do it and particularly sort of American alternative comics of walking on with a piece of paper. Mm. Like at big gigs. And it's part, of our, it's part of their image that they're reading off notes. That it makes it, and it and it, it
0: makes it look fresher. Maybe do you think?
1: That's the ironic thing. Is that it's supposed to make it look more like they're. they're I've just thought of this today, and they're doing the same set that they've been doing. Like yeah, I was at the Aspen right. Comedy Festival back in the day, and I remember Sarah Silverman doing the exact same set, word for word, using this piece of paper as if she'd just written it. To just kind of hipster it up
0: somehow. Yeah. And also, I think it
1: helped. It it helped, like, there was one joke where she's almost blaming the piece of paper for the fact that it's there, you know? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting prop. That some people use. Okay. The the note.
0: So with this, with coming back to your show, your yeah. Let's talk about me
1: again. What am I doing talking about other comedians?
0: (laughs) (laughs) How many? How many previews did you do, or when? When in the year did you start writing the show that you're currently doing at the the EICC? I
1: suppose I started writing it properly in March. Okay. Really doing that thing of looking around at things and 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 you know, doing that thing where you go, you're basically you you're making yourself go slightly mad. That's what it's like. I think it's like you. You suddenly start deliberately trying to misunderstand everything about everyday life. You're looking okay. at everything in such a lateral way of going. Why is that this shape? Why is my wife looking at me? Because she's your wife. <laughs> she's supposed. It's just you. Look, everything you just question every aspect of existence in a way that's that's somewhere between schizophrenia and autism. Okay, that and that's a like... mode.
0: Do You think that's a mode that you yeah, can you, you kind can of consciously switch your brain switch into it almost? Yeah, okay. where
1: you're just questioning and just reviewing everything in this skewed way to try and find comedy okay. in it. Is
0: that is that how you've always worked when you started yeah, doing comedy? So, was yeah. that, that's where you kind of
1: trained up that mindset? Some of it. And some of it is just, to be honest with you, uh, uh, most of my stuff, the stuff that my favourite stuff is stuff that it just comes from arguments I have had and the things I wish I'd said in those arguments. Mm-hmm. and just dwelling. I am one of those people, I can't get to sleep at night for thinking of the things I wish I'd said to somebody who was rude to me in a shop or whatever, you know.
0: That makes, up, that makes up a component of this show and other shows of yours that I've seen. And I was going to ask how, how much truth there is to that. Or is that just kind of... Because that's quite a useful framing strategy for like an about argument about that. you've had. Yeah, I talked
1: yeah. About last show or the show before that. I actually had a whole thing about that, about the fact that I obsess on the, with the things I wish I'd said to people in arguments. But it is. It's completely true. Okay. I hold on to to arguments I've had and, I, and my wife will hear me doing it My wife will, I joked in the show about it that she can tell when I'm, uh, I'm having an argument with somebody in my head she'll just see my hands move in a certain way and she'll just see the glazed look and she'll go, you've just thought of something you wish you'd said to somebody in an argument and I go, yes I have and she'll go, how long ago was this argument? I'm like about 18 months ago now and she'll go, that's what I thought now get off me
0: <laughs> is that, do you think yeah <laughs> Do you, think, do you think that's a family trait? Because I know your brother Paul rather better yeah. than, than we've spent any time together socially, mm. and he is phenomenally argumentative. And yeah. Is that that's something that's definitely a trait of the oh, two back of back when you. he
1: used to drink, because I still do. Oh, man, you should have seen some of the arguments we had. <laughs> Fucking ludicrous. I swear to God, one Christmas we had a proper stand-up yelling in each other's faces over whether or not Star Trek The Next Generation was better than Star Trek The Original Series. Okay. And it was real. I mean, it was f- yelling! Like, what the what is wrong with you? Like that, that kind of okay. thing. Yeah, and and the people around us, like mainly his friends, are like these guys don't even get on. And it was like, uh, yeah, we're an argumentative bunch. <laughs> okay, and is
0: that were you like that when you were children?
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, I still obsess on things. I wish I'd said in that argument about Star Trek. You know, that was, <laughs> that was a good fifteen years ago. Have
0: it, is, which of you won that argument? Out of interest. Uh, neither of us. It's ongoing.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think it. Because no, we're going to walk away and go. Well, I guess it's just a matter of taste. No, no, that's no. I have to empirically prove.
0: Why? Why? Why do you need to prove it like that? Why is there there argumentative <laughs> that's nature? That's
1: Dicks. Yeah.
0: I, don't, I, I, I accept no that, idea. No, but let's, let's look a little bit further into it. Why do you think that is? Was it some sort of challenge between the two of you growing up? I mean, was it was it each other that inspired that argumentative nature? Because it's really, it, it's kind of seeded throughout a lot of your stand-up. And I think a lot of the, the attitudes that you take with something as a starting point, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I imagine you argue against something. When you're in that mode of seeing the world, part of that thought is it maybe. Why is that like that? Why should that be like that?
1: Well, I think we could go into further psychoanalysis on why I would argue a lot with my family. And I think a lot of it's to do with my whole family are all very funny. Okay. And even though Paul now makes a living in in the comedy industry as Mm -hmm. a director and producer and and, and all that kind of thing, at the time he didn't. And and no one else in my family did. And I think there was a huge seething resentment from my entire funny family that I was the only one who actually became a funny person living. And why do you think... Seething. Seething resentment.
0: (laughs) That's incredible. That's, that's, that's not. I, I sometimes talk on the podcast almost like superheroes of trying to find out each comedian's origin story. Yeah. Like, you know, were you struck by lightning or you, you know, fell in <laughs> radioactive stuff? So you had a funny family.
1: The entire family's funny, but it was one of the, my old my eldest brother was the eldest. So my older sister was the only girl and my younger brother was the baby and I was just the other one. So you so were, were like a, sort of, on the stage. a super you, middle do child. Do you hear me,
0: father? Do you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> and you, were, were you competing against your mum and dad to be funny as well?
1: Uh, well, my mum was very funny, certainly. I mean, dad is funny in his own way, but in a very sort of, you know, old-fashioned way of just telling the same jokes every Christmas. Okay. Kids are like farts. You can barely stand your own. Hilarious, father. Hilarious.
0: <laughs> so when you... Were, did that motivate your first decision to, to go on a stand-up stage?
1: No, but I remember very early on Uh, My older brother had a Billy Connolly album The Pick of Billy Connolly uh, A vinyl album of stand-up comedy Which seems like a very weird thing to own nowadays And listening to that and and sitting in the kitchen and me and and me, what looking at me dad sitting there laughing at it and just, like sitting around it as if we were in the fifties or something mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and, and it was really cool and I was very very young and impressionable and I, and I used to talk along with that album I also used to play along to like Live After Death by Iron Maiden with a tennis racket okay but I used to talk along to. Uh, the pick of Billy Connolly mm-hmm. in exactly the same way as you mm-hmm. would as a child play along to music and so I think that got that, you know, put in me at very very early on okay. the, 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 the desire that, or the idea that this could be a thing that people do
0: so uh, out of your family that were listening to it you were the one who was speaking along with it and taking it away and no and I didn't do it when anybody
1: else was around I okay. just did it on my own yes that's right listening on my own to a comedy album <laughs> talking along with it looking back it's Quite pathetic, really.
0: Sure, okay. <laughs> so then when you first took that onto the stage, you were at Strathclyde University, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And you started a comedy club there. Was that your <laughs> no, first... No, I, that was
1: after I dropped out. When I was okay. at, at college, I, used to, I was involved in the entertainment. I was the inter- social convener, as it was called, the Ent- ENTS bloke. And then I was also the vice president, and I used, to, I used to host the karaoke's and pub quizzes, and I have to make speeches and, at student council and mm-hmm. freshers' welcomes and stuff like that. And I would jazz it up with the odd gag okay so got a taste for well the rest of them all went into politics or the trade union movement i i went into stand-up okay yeah so that's kind of where i got the taste for it and then i i dropped out and then i started a comedy club in glasgow in a pub called the 13th note on glassford street and uh did that every wednesday okay and had both of the guys from steel game were any scottish people still gonna be familiar still game Fort cairn and uh Greg Campbell both both did stuff individually. Okay. And uh Phil Kay was on. Oh yeah. Bruce Morton. Okay. Uh,
0: were they was was people like I don't know the other two but were people like Phil Kay and Bruce Morton were they already established they were already established at the time? Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Before Cannon, I mean he was he was new. He was new at the time, you know. Sure. I mean he he was I think he he was already rich, to be honest. He made a lot of money in phone lines. So sorry, I don't know what he was. A businessman. But he was, he was getting established as a stand-up comic, okay. but he was new. Yeah. So
0: when you started off, what would you say your voice was like as a, as a stand-up comic? And is it, is it like the, the voice that you have now? Uh, or was I, there a th- big the, change?
1: The biggest change uh, I've made over the last 20 years... Fuck, I'm old. ...is uh, I... I'm more, uh, I'm more anecdotal now. I tell stories more, whereas I used to just—it was more um, observation, I guess you could say. I, okay. I, whereas I used to be more. Have you ever noticed this? I'm now more. Uh, a funny thing happened to me on the sure. way to the gig. Sure. Sure. And I also, one of the, this is a little rule that I have for myself now is, unless it's like a, just a ridiculous joke, that's obviously just a joke. I don't say anything now that I don't actually think. Okay. See, I used to quite happily say anything that would, if, if that opinion then helped me make the joke, then sure. that would be the opinion I wrote. So I would get up and I'd say I hate kids, even though yeah. I've never hated kids. I used to work as a babysitter. Okay. I've always loved kids, not in an oper- operation U-Tree type way, but I've always, I've always been very, I, I do. Sure. And I, but I would get on stage and go, I fucking hate kids, kids, and, and do a rant about them because it was okay. funny. Okay. How but did that now? Okay. And I don't know at what point that happened. That was that was sometime around in the last ten years. I just I kind of set myself that test or that goal or whatever that I wouldn't say anything that I didn't actually think.
0: And you've been, you've, you've, you've been someone who's always had a kind of... Your career seems to me to always have had a trajectory. So presumably, it, longer no, ago I'm than... Not always up, though. No, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, further ago than 10 years, you were being successful doing stuff like I Had Kids That mm-hmm. you know you, that was successful stuff, even though you didn't believe in it. So what did that feel like to be... To be kind of like taking an idea and going, oh, I just sort of i am interested in the process of that because I write stuff and I, I find if I don't believe it, I can't say it in the first place. And I think that holds me back because I don't know, I don't have super strong opinions about stuff that I want to argue. I'm not an argumentative sort of person.
1: Mm-hmm. But if you I kind of. I think you were. Was that? I think you were. See, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Let's see how he responds. Yeah, I suppose so. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> He's
0: good, isn't he? He's good. <laughs> But, I, so that thing of, yeah, I just want to talk a bit more about that idea of saying something you don't believe well, for the on, sake of mileage.
1: Even early on, I always just think it was weird when you have a guy going on stage who was married with kids and he's talking about how he's just broken up with his girlfriend. Sure. I always thought that was kind of, you, you know, I always was true in, in that way. In that if I was single, I'd say I was single if I was, you know, if I'd just been dumped or if I was whatever, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff I always would, would, for some reason, be honest about. But just my opinions on things i I would happily just for the sake of I, it doesn't matter what I actually think it's just I'm just making a joke okay uh, and as I say I just got i it just it became a thing of when I was getting married, I had a whole thing about i didn't want to have that thing of doing the stereo and, and the wife wants to have it this way, and I want to have it this way, and have it, have her painted as a stereotypical ogre you know wanting the marriage to be like this, and that was the classic conflict. The truth of it was we both hated everyone in the wedding industry because okay. of what a pain in the arse they are. Sure. And they want to have... They, the part of the problem with the wedding industry is they think that you are really enjoying the process because for the most part, most women are, particularly women, in fairness. Most, they quite enjoy the thrill of trying on the dresses and having meetings about invites and stuff. Like That's all part of the... We c- couldn't give a shit, either of us. Mm-hmm. And so having those meetings were really irritating. And trying to, we tried to. I, I was trying to make that funny, and I, it wasn't working. Okay. To the point where my wife, now Claire, said to me, "Look, I think you should change tack on this and just paint me as the ogre, and that okay. that would be funnier." Okay. And I just no. I said no, and I stuck with it. And I'm really glad I did because it came out really funny. Okay. And in a way that
0: men and women could relate to. You know? Sure. So, with, so with taking that as an example, that starting point of weddings that came from a point of view. Of you were passionate about something and some sort of aerial said this could be funny. Is that right? Yeah. Is that- and I think
1: that's what's gonna mark you out. I think it's if you just go with that what's what's easier to be funny, then you will just end up sounding like absolutely everybody else, mm-hmm. you know. I think that's what I love about Louis C.K. I'm sure he probably gets brought up quite a lot on this show because he's a very he's a real sort of comics comic and he will take a subject that's been done to death that's mm-hmm. considered really hack like being on airplanes or mm-hmm. having kids all that stuff and he, but he is so obviously personal about it and he's saying what he genuinely thinks about it that he breathes new life sure. into it and that's kind of, that's what I try to do <laughs>
0: So this is Ed, right from the off. I love acts who can talk frankly here about stuff not working as well as they'd liked, without any need to sort of front it out for the sake of public transmission. So I'm loving this conversation. And I love hearing about the differences in the job once you're off the circuit and in that constant sort of writing, rehearsing, touring loop. Uh, We've got an intriguing analogy coming up uh, regarding comics as musicians, singer-songwriters or boy bands. You know I love an analogy. Ed is on tour at the moment until the beginning of May details at edburn.com so get on top of that he's terrific live I really recommend you go and see him I just apologize for the state of my voice at the moment I am off work sick I've pulled a bunch of gigs this week in order to stay at home and recover um, from a horrible chest infection so uh, oh yeah (laughs) yeah and I've, uh, I've got to I've got to recover really because this Thursday marks the start of my very first weekend at the comedy store so do come along if you're around come and smile at me and Watch me and come and lay a cool hand on my forehead and, and basically make sure I'm all right. I'm not bloody missing that, so I'll go along even if I have to dose up on Red Bull. Um, an awesome lineup of very funny friends as well, there uh, for my first weekend, which makes me feel both secure and also slightly terrified because they're all so good. Remember, too, if you're listening in New Zealand, I'm going to be performing my new show in Auckland and Wellington during the comedy festival there in a month or so. Uh, In the brochure in New Zealand, it's called He Wolf, uh, although that's changed now for Edinburgh, where the show will be called Extra Life. Not as funny a title, I grant you, but much more appropriate now I've written most of the sodding thing. Um, Thank you for your emails and tweets. Big love to John Smith. Uh, I'm assuming not the comedian of that name, a brilliant comedian, but uh, simply a man who made a huge donation to the show that I'm reeling from a bit. Uh, And thanks to him for the following words. He talks about some very tough stuff he's going through at the moment. And he says, being a comedy nerd and enjoying comedy has gotten me through this. The Gary Delaney interview you've just done has made me laugh for the first time this week. You do this for free, and whilst I probably can't afford this much, without having a laugh, I wouldn't keep getting out of bed and earn a penny. So thanks for making me laugh out loud and all the efforts that goes into the podcast. I should point out I've had a chat with him since, predominantly to offer him his donation back, um, which he didn't accept. Thank you, John. And the particular idea that tickled him in the Gary Delaney podcast was the phrase «hacky spunky tears». John, thank you so much for your donation. Thanks to all of you that have helped me make a significant dent in the costs from last year's Edinburgh run. You too can donate at ComediansComedian.com by clicking on the PayPal button and choosing the size of your donation. They don't all need to be massive, just most of them. Ha! Now, on the subject of Edinburgh, lots of people have been asking if I'm taking the show back up there for 2014. And the answer at the moment is that I'm thinking of doing some hit and run shows. I'm not going to go in the programme for ComCom or for the full run, but I do hope to get some interviews done, either recorded in people's uh, accommodation, their digs, or the odd live one where I can fit into a gap in a free fringe venue or a paid venue and just leap in and make it happen last minute. That's the plan. You can help with it. If you're involved in running a venue and if you spot, you might have a little gap for me here or there, like a little... Saturday afternoon gap or a late night Monday gap or whatever you know what a gap is if you've got one of them we can make it happen on the fly so just keep an eye out and just remember that I'm looking out for them if you know anyone running venues they mention they've got a gap ask them to get in touch with me if they wouldn't mind uh, if you would be so kind and finally video highlights from this show and the last seven or eight Edinburgh ones are all available online at youtube.com slash comcompod so have a peep at those if you'd like to see what we look like in the flesh and if you're telling friends about this podcast, then they might serve as a useful thing to stick onto people's Facebook walls. That's up to you. Go and graffiti the hell out of people. Um, that is all the Podmin for now. Yes, Podmin, that's the phrase. That's all the Podmin for now. Let's get back to Mr. Ed Byrne. Do, do you see a subject and go, that hasn't been covered before? Or do you uh, do you see a subject like weddings and wedding planning go, and, and think... <laughs> oh, sorry, and or do you see a subject like wedding planning and, and think everyone's going to get that? That's going to be accessible. So now the job for me is to find stuff that hasn't been. No, found I on just it
1: whatever is going on in my life. That's what I then want to talk about, and that's okay. about the size of it. And that I'm one of those people. Like again, going back to when first writing this show, most people, if they got a speeding ticket that said that they could go on the driver awareness, you know, the speed awareness course, would think what a pain in the arse. I've got to spend four hours being patronised. But I went. There's bound to be some material in this yeah sure and there was It was a good five minutes at the opening of the show i i have a whole thing about my time on that. I had a hernia this year and had to go and have an operation for that and i but the whole time thinking there'll be some there'll be something in this, and there is that's that's all it's all in the show. everything that happens becomes you know okay becomes a rich seam so I, I it wasn't that I thought oh getting married is uh is a thing people can relate to. It's sure. like it was a thing I was going through. That makes it sound like how that's, very, <laughs> that's, that's not very romantic at all, is it?
0: Presumably you had some other feelings yeah. about I'm it as well. I'm yeah. glad I
1: didn't say that in my speech. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say going through this has been <laughs> it's been a trial, but it's been worth it. Uh so yeah it's just I as I say, I, I just I talk about whatever whatever's going on. Okay. And I think that it makes it easier as well. If somebody hands you a blank sheet of paper and says, draw me a picture You'll spend the first half an hour trying to decide what to draw a picture of. Mm-hmm. Or if somebody says, draw me a picture of a castle, even if you're not very good at drawing castles, you'll, you've got more time to draw the thing now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. If, if, you got, if you go, this is what's going on, so I'm going to write jokes about this. Sure. It gives you a... Okay. A lot of the best jokes I've written have been jokes where I've needed to get from one subject to another. Okay, okay. You, you to know, transition you know, I from... I've got a link there. So I have to, somehow I'm trying to find a way to link this subject to that subject and... And in doing that, being forced to write the joke, the classic mother of invention thing, that's, that ends up being the best joke. And I, I have dropped the, the stuff on either side and just kept okay. the joke that was originally supposed to be it okay. because that's been the better joke. Sure. When, you, when I force myself, I need something on this, then, then, then I do it.
0: Okay. Do you find, I think I've spoken to some of the comics who've done shows like Mock the Week where you get given a list of you know, targets beforehand that they find that really focuses them because they're like, okay, you've got to come up with something about this. Yeah. Do you find that? Is that a similar you know, sort you of... You you come
1: a... up with something that I would never think I would never normally write it. And I've got, like, stuff in the show this year that's some stuff about politicians that's mainly stuff that I, I originally thought of for Mock the Week and then wasn't... Because the thing with Mock the Week, you know what's going to come up because of what's in the news. You have to watch the news and this is what's going to come up, basically. And also, there's a lot of cheating. So... <laughs> uh, so you, you get told <laughs> what's going to come up. But uh, it's, uh, I, I'll, I'll write a joke, you know, and it'll go out. But then, like, I, the more I think about that joke, because I don't just dwell on the things I wish I'd said, I dwell on things I've actually said as well. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, so okay. Like the like the... the joke gets better. Sure. So, like, I've got a routine in this show that's, that I'm really very pleased with. Is that the
0: shadow cabinet?
1: Not the shadow cabinet. The thing about the, the work shy. Okay. That, that I did you know, That's just getting better every night Because I'm still just working on it every night And it was, a re- I, it, was it, it has gone out on an episode of Mock the Week But it's just like two lines And mm-hmm. it gets a bit of a murmur Because it's, it's it's funny But it's not hilarious mm-hmm. But it's now Like a two minute bit okay. It's a really rabble-rousing thing And it would be annoying If people watched it and went, oh, I heard that on Mock the Week No you didn't You heard one line of that on Mock the Week Sure Because it's since then It's just grown into a routine Okay
0: know? Okay, and do you find, just go just talking about the TV stuff for a moment, do you do you have certain rules about, you know, once something has gone out, you know, once a finished bit has gone out on air or in a DVD or sort of on a TV show, is that it burnt, or would you still tour it if it had been in a, a clip on a show? It's
1: a very difficult one, that. It's a very difficult one to know whether to drop something or not because uh, it depends, because you'll do a joke on a show and only some people are watch it, and, and people... Like, I had a thing... In my show, where I just referred back to it. I was talking about children in age-inappropriate clothing. And Mm -hmm. I had a whole routine about a kid I saw wearing a T-shirt with... uh, I love pussy like a fat girl love cake. That was what he did. (laughs) It was like a 13-year-old boy with this written on his T-shirt. right? And I had a whole routine about that. Before I got into it, I mentioned that the fact that I care about this is not because I've had kids because I've actually done stuff about this before and I mentioned a joke from the previous show okay. about how I saw a little girl about 12 wearing a tracksuit with the word gorgeous written across the arms mm-hmm. of it and I said that was inappropriate because she was a fucking minger. Right? <laughs> and, sure. But this is the thing, I would do that and it would get a big laugh and I'm like, I did that whole routine in my last tour mm. yet I've just done the joke the, the 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 kernel of the joke here again and it's gotten a big laugh and I said can I just do all the best stuff from the last tour and still get away with it right now Sure. it's a very weird thing because not everybody call it you flatter yourself, I think, to think that everybody's coming to see you every tour. Like, sure. every time you go on the road, go, oh, we've got to go and see him. Actually, oh, most people like,
0: have already seen this. Yeah. actually only a 2,000 I people. I think a now. lot of
1: people are like, well, we saw him on his last tour, so we're not going to bother seeing him on this tour. We'll go and see Sarah Milligan or Mickey Flanagan instead. So I don't really know what, with, with, with that, because then there'll be other people, or if you even get a whiff of mm-hmm. the same subject mm-hmm. as you did on a previous show, they're like, you're doing the same material again. It's fucking lazy. It's lazy. So it's very <laughs> difficult to know. OK, It's that's it's one of the weird. And, you know, and the fact that you've done something on TV, you'll know yourself most time when you do something on TV, you're doing a shortened, watered down version of the bit. Sure. And then you want to do the, the full. Director's cut. As yes. Were, OK. Live. OK.
0: So is, is there anything you you're talk about st- creating material about stuff that happens in your life? Is there anything that's off limits? Is there any are there any principles you don't? You know that you have about stuff you won't talk about. Not,
1: not really. You know, there was only ever one that my wife ever got really arsy with me about. But it was such a it, we, there's a there's a constant trade-off with me and my wife about what I will share and what I won't, and it depends on how personal it is versus how big a laugh it's getting, yeah, okay. or yeah. how fake it is, or how how it makes her look versus how big a laugh it gets. I had a thing about uh, again when we, uh, on, when I was talking about getting married uh, about how how it was to do with it, wedding planners and saying all the little details are really going to matter because it's the happiest day of your life. And I'm saying, well, on the happiest day of your life, surely that's the one day where little details don't matter. Yeah, okay. And I'm going, it's the happiest day of my life. And I go, I found her. I found the woman I love more than I ever thought it possible to love another human being. And I am standing up in front of the people she likes the best and the people she likes the best of the people I know. <laughs> and
0: that's, and she never
1: liked that one. <laughs> she never liked that, but it was always, it, got a, it always got a massive reaction. And sure. there was one bloke who wasn't allowed to come to the wedding because she didn't like him. But that was, you know, that was, not even because she didn't like him, because she didn't like his girlfriend. But anyway, <laughs> that that, you know, that that was one of those sort of she wasn't quite like that but it was it got such a big laugh and it was so relatable I'm, like, I'm sorry love I'm I'm sticking with that joke you know okay but okay. there's been other things of but re- very rarely would would there be cuz I'm not I'm not overly um you know offensive or anything like that anyway so there mm-hmm. isn't like i ma- I'm not always constantly think you know I don't go that dark anyway that often so sure you know.
0: Sure. And is there, are there certain strategies that you use to try and unpack the funny from a subject? Because I was thinking when you were talking about your hernia in your show, um, you, you've you got a joke about the uh, the anaesthetist asking you a question as they inject anaesthetic into you. Yeah. And the the joke, I think, is that you go, that's, you know, how, you, well, could you make was, it any clearer? Yeah,
1: is there, because she said... She asked, because the nurse recognised me and the anaesthetist didn't. And she said, oh, so she, as she's giving me the injection. She goes, oh, what's the name of the TV show you're on? And it just, the drug just hit me. And I just went, I, I literally went, I don't think I can answer that question. <laughs> Boom, and I went out. Which, as I point out, is silly, because that's harder to say than mock the week. <laughs> but what, what, I, the last thing I thought as I was passing out was, nothing says, I don't care what the name of the TV show you're on is. Like asking, what's the name of the TV show you're on? as you're administering an anaesthetic like is there a clearer indication you couldn't give a fuck about the answer to your own question like, I just and putting somebody to sleep as you're asking it what's the name of the TV show you're on couldn't give a shit couldn't give a shit and is that is that
0: genuinely what you actually thought at the time? Because I thought, how did he get it's, that out it of is, the concept of anaesthetic? It's That's such a good observation. It is what I,
1: I thought it. out. I didn't actually think it as I was going to say. I didn't have time to think anything, but I did think it afterwards. I did think okay. it was funny that she asked that question because okay. she really asked it like she wanted to know. Sure, she was oh, the name of TV. Like, it was almost like she forgot that she was putting me to sleep when sure, she asked okay. the question.
0: So so is there any part of your process where you sit and write, like in a laptop or on no. a, with a pad and pen? Is it all worked out? No.
1: It's all stuff that happens to me and I dwell on it in my head and then I'll go to, to a club, like Old Rope, where, um, have you, I don't know if you've talked about... This it's it's come the, up
0: before, but we can explain it for the people It's a great
1: in little club in, in London on a Monday night where they have, like, they have a noose actually hanging from the ceiling. And it's just, the point is that you have to be telling, telling the joke for the first time. And if you're not, if you're doing something you've done before, you have to just indicate it by touching the rope. And if you don't, anyone in the audience is allowed to yell mm-hmm. old rope at you. And I've never actually seen it happen. No, I don't to be think honest. I've seen that happen. That is, but that is the the ethos of it. So but people the visual come along metaphor knowing, that really helps. Yeah. yeah, and people come along knowing that you really are trying out stuff for the first time, and that's a great place to try new stuff. It's a bit of a false friend, though, because yeah, absolutely, they, they, you'll, you'll get a big laugh or something there, and then try it out at a comedy club, and they'll just stare at you. The worst line I ever got from a, the, one of the worst heckles I remember early on writing my last show. I had a story that, it, in fairness, I didn't quite have an ending to. And it was about, uh, I met a guy once. I was standing next to a guy in a, in a, in a, in a checking queue for an airport. And he I recognized him from uh, one of the Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a guy, he, uh, uh, Paul Winfield is the actor's name. He was a big, tall, black guy. And he played a, a, a character called Commander, uh, Captain Tyrell he played and, uh, in Wrath of Cannes getting very nerdy now but, uh, but, but point view, I turned to him and I said uh, weren't you in Wrath of Khan and he responded by going yes I died so the white man could live <laughs> <laughs> it's just like very in mind that the white man in question was Captain fucking Kirk right yeah. <laughs> and it's like and I wanted to say to him you died you mean Captain Kirk you really think it's because you're a black guy and he's a white guy not because he's captain of the fucking Enterprise and you've never even been in the TV show Yeah. You know? But at the time, I didn't really have an ending for it, but it was a, kind of a funny story, and it kind of fizzled. And the guy, who was a Scottish bloke, he was in London, but it was a Scottish guy, just went, is that going to be in your shoe? <laughs> 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 yeah, you're right. It's not there yet, is it? It's not quite there yet. Okay. Okay, so <laughs> it do, can give you false positives. I need, to get on st- I need to work it out on stage, yes. the, uh, the jokes. And you'll know this as well. It's an interesting thing with, with, with stand-up comedy is that even really, really experienced comedians, you'll, you'll, I'll run a joke by a friend of mine who's a comic and we'll agree it's hilarious mm-hmm. and I can't wait to try it and then I'll try it and it just doesn't work. And he'll be like, oh, I don't understand why that doesn't work. And you're kind of like, why do we make a living? How do we make a living when we clearly don't even know what's funny or not? Sure. Because you'll write a joke that you think's brilliant uh, or maybe you'll, you'll do it on stage and then the setup gets a big laugh and the punchline doesn't. And you don't mm. think the setup's particularly funny, but the punchline is. Like, there's, there's no way of predicting it. And you, you, but we're like bankers. We, we, we actually don't know what the fuck we're doing. You know? A lot of the time, we, we, yeah, we have a vague idea and we'll take your money, but we don't actually know what's going on. So uh, that just came to me now, and I may use that in the future. You see, that's a <laughs> p- perfect example of, 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 of writing something on stage yeah i and like i I had a joke that I thought was great about um uh it was to do with the sugar babes and the fact that all three members of the sugar babes now are not any of the original members sure. and it was quite i felt it was a philosophical conundrum <laughs> are they- is it still the sugar babes i mean it goes back to that thing of the philosopher's Acts. the- philo- yeah it was yeah. The philosopher or it was who was it was somebody's ark not yeah. Noah's. it was somebody. And it was if you replace all the wood, yeah. and eventually you replace every single piece of wood, is it still the same boat? And mm-hmm. I thought you could apply this to the sugar babes, right? And then I went, and I thought this was great. I thought, like, if you've got a sweeping brush, and, and the head rots off, so you replace it, and then the, the handle rots off, and so you replace that, you'd probably be thinking to yourself, I should have saved my money while I was still a member of the sugar babes. <laughs> okay. Which, I it, see, it's not a big laugh. <laughs> now, I think that's a very funny joke. And every time I've discussed it with a comedian, i like, oh, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. Because it's just like you think it's going one way and then it's not. It's like slightly unexpected, but it's waiting. There's a lot in that joke that I think recommends it. Does not fucking work. Okay. And me, and like, I was on tour. I did a warm-up tour for the, for, the, for my last tour where, I, you know, we were right... And I was, I was with uh, Matthew Hardy, Australian comedian, and mm-hmm. Nick Doody, uh, English comedian. Both really funny comedians, and they... You know, we were we were looking at my stuff afterwards every night and trying to tinker with it and all that, and and each other's stuff as as comedians do. But the three of us with like fifty years in comedy between us could not get under the hood of that joke and make it sure. work. So it just got okay. binned. Okay, and do you you mentioned
0: working with other writers? Is that something that you've always done?
1: No, I've never worked with writers. I'm just saying in the same way that. Comedians, we will offer each oh, other like advice. give each other
0: tags and advice. Yeah, and stuff go, like that, I think, would okay. that work
1: better if you did this with it and stuff like that? I've never actually hired uh, okay. writers or anything. Uh, not not for my stand up. I once I I had to do yeah you know, I had to write a thing like you, know, you might get commissioned to do a. I did a thing about recycling. I got asked to do a thing uh, trying to make recycling funny. It was a campaign mm-hmm. to get people to recycle, and so okay. myself and Nick like wrote a thing together for me to deliver. Okay, but I've sure. never I've never sat down. And with is, a that, is, that a, my is
0: that a point of principle or is that just yeah. that you And then is. even
1: even people who have offered me lines who who've like come up to me like Adam Bloom for instance who'd come up to me after a gig and go wouldn't that be funny if you said this mm-hmm. like I those people get a thank you on my DVD mm-hmm. for just for like a line
0: sure
1: you know or or like my neighbor cuz he'll tell me a story and I'll go oh I could there's something in that that I could use like he'll get a thank you on the okay uh, you know I don't I think that I, I think there's a there's been a lot of talk lately about the whole using writers,
0: yes, thing. yeah. Bruce Desso wrote quite an interesting blog about. Oh no, was well Stuart Lee started, didn't he? He said it's like using, it's like people using who, steroids, using steroids. Basically. Yeah. And what's your what's your feeling about that? Where do you fall on that?
1: Well, I think because if you think if you look at something like WWE, they're all using steroids. Sure. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Who cares? I think he has a point. I think with all of these things, it's always mean to name, call out particular acts on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think if if one thing, if you're if you if you reach a certain level of fame, or if you if you're doing a TV show and you recruit writers for for that, because you suddenly there's a demand on you to to come up with six half hours. Mm-hmm. But if you're from the word go, I would complain about the fact that you've had it on. But it's an R two D two tech, that's why you're a hero. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> do, um, do feel free to turn that off, though. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I think if if, if you're someone who from the word go has hired writers, yes, you know, then I think. If do you, you think are, people do that? Are there people who, a, 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 who apparently so? I apparently so, and I don't want to name names even because I've just said it's not right to call people out specifically. Sure, but um,
0: but is that is that? Do you think that's like, a consequence? I of think it people being more...
1: assume nowadays, and I, I'm a, a, that that all comedians are like you know singer songwriters that everybody's you know you know creating their own stuff, mm-hmm. and that they're not like. Boy bands.
0: Sure, and sure. I think,
1: but there, I think that there are some that are.
0: At least with musicians, the public can tell the difference between a singer-songwriter and a boy band, and you'd feel rightly cheated if you found out that a singer-songwriter like Damien Rice, say, you, you know, what, you're, what you're paying yeah. for is his thoughts poured out through his music. Yeah. But, but you can tell if it's, uh, if it's, you know, I can't think of a single boy, JLS, are they a boy band? <laughs> yeah, uh- you, you can kind of go, okay, they're manufactured. But with comedy... I think people have got different takes on this idea of. Um, it's frustrating to see a comedian and go, "Oh, you're manufactured," but there's no way of anyone knowing that.
1: Yeah, and I think, as I, think, I can say, I think there's an assumption on everybody's part that when somebody's on stage, like in the old days, and Bob Hope and 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 people like that had sure. writers, and even Bob Mungos, even though Bob Mungos also wrote for loads of other people, mm-hmm. he then had writers in, in in turn himself, and I think that was accepted then. But I think nowadays people just there's an assumption that that you're Creating all the things mm. that you're saying, so I think it's a. I think it is kind of. And is cheating. that? Do you think there's a? Is there an,
0: an analogy there with, with directors? Because I know a lot of comedians, or more comedians than I realised when I started, use directors for their shows.
1: Well, again, no, I don't think that's a problem at all for the because a lot of them will, will credit it on 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 their poster, and also because my little brother makes a living as a director for comedians. Sure. so I think I think more people should use them. More people should. Them. <laughs> then eventually, he can pay me back the money he owes me. Uh, <laughs> Because he doesn't. I mean, he works very well, and he—it's uh, he, a very collaborative thing. The way he works with comedians, in that he doesn't write their jokes for them, but mm-hmm. he—he'll just go when it comes to, particularly when it comes to Edinburgh, and and people are, are trying to construct an hour-long show. He'll say, maybe it'd be better if you put that at the end, or move that to there, and you know, in the middle, I think you should do something that's a bit more like this. And mm-hmm. he—he just helps. He helps draw their own creativity out of themselves, and I, I think that's. That's just, very
0: different to handing someone a paper. It's rejection. different to go
1: in here and tell people that you actually went to see Star Wars when you didn't,
0: you know. Sure. Okay. Okay, so in terms of the... When we talk talking about the process of creation... Because, again,
1: not naming names, we were talking about somebody the other night who was doing a routine about Star Wars, and, and the person was referred to a Wookiee as a Wookiee. Yeah. And you're like, you haven't even seen the fucking film. I've uh, Your writer has, but you clearly I've haven't even a, seen this film. I've heard a similar
0: story about <laughs> someone uh, trying political stuff out and then saying... I don't even know who that is, you know, on stage. Um, but like, we'll, we'll continue this discussion. In the, uh, yeah.
1: And you were like, hang on, we thought we were getting the proper lifting the lid here and you're yeah. still <laughs> keeping secrets from us.
0: Com- comedy fan, the more time you spend learning about comedy, the more you'll start to find out the rumours about uh, things like this. A collective like noun
1: for comedians is a bitch of comedians. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> let's, let's just draw it back to, uh, back to you. And on the, on the subject of... Um, creation of creating stuff I want to talk about your persona on stage because I feel like I can't necessarily put you into a pigeonhole as a comedian and I think now because you've got um, because a lot of the comedy superstars are like someone like Mickey Flanagan you can sort of go okay he's that and there hasn't been one of those before do you know I mean or John Bishop or Peter Kay I-, I think it's harder to pin down exactly who you are do you know what I mean like and That's I, probably I, why I'm
1: not as famous as those three people <laughs> like I think
0: yeah well, no, do you I, what do you think it is? Is that is that part of it? I, something I struggle with a lot is going. Okay, who am I? What, where am I coming from? Other than some guy that thinks the things I think.
1: Yeah, I don't think I make as, mu- as as conscious a decision as that. Okay, and perhaps I ought, you know. Okay, but uh, basically, I me on stage is just it's just me turned up to eleven. That's, okay, it's, it's, I'm I'm probably I'm slightly more angry. I'm am a lot more funny. I'm uh, even even my accent is just sometimes is slightly although less now. But when I was starting out. My accent was just ever so slightly more Irish. It just everything about me was just 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 tweaked up just a little bit more. Sure, uh, and you know I'm slightly more nerdy or erudite or whatever. I mean, everything about me, I'm just slightly more than that on stage, or it's, or okay. it's like a distillation as uh, uh, as were, of, of have you ever my experimented with
0: with trying to sort of find a a, a person to be? Find no, when I
1: started out, I wanted to be like Michael Redmond, who was like a deadpan yeah. one-liner merchant, and it just didn't happen, and I remember uh, Ben Elton saying the very same thing that when he, he when he started out he wanted to be quite sort of laid back and cool on stage, but he had this nervous nervous energy that made him just talk very quickly, and so he sure. he became this ranty thing because that's just what came. And I was like uh, I, uh, the exact same thing. I wanted to be a kind of I, I liked a lot of laid-back American comedians as well who were just kind of like so. What's in the news today? You know, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be like that. But as soon yeah. as I got on the stage, I'm like, hey, okay, like me, like me, like me. Okay, <laughs> we all like me. Yeah, I like me. Well, I don't not, not enough to not do this for a living. But I like myself a bit. You know, uh, and I just had that nervous energy as well. Okay, and so I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fast talking you know, slightly more ranty.
0: And how do you, how do you think, if, if there's no kind of contrivance on your part as to who you are, um, and it doesn't sound like there is, and I don't mean contrivance in a negative way, do you know what I mean? But like yeah. someone like Milton Jones, for example, finds a certain way yeah. to, to deliver his stuff. If, if you have just been yourself turned up to 11, how do you think uh, audiences react to that? Do you think you're seen as like an everyman? Or how do you think audiences see you?
1: Yeah, I'd like to think that people will come away feeling like they know you that little bit better. You know, and in fact, it's a great thing... Because I come to the festival pretty much every two years, and my friends will come along, and some there's people who I only get to see at this festival every couple of years, and we'll go out for a drink afterwards, and they don't need to ask me anything. They they're, they're, <laughs> that is no, convenient. <laughs> so, what have you been up to the last? Because so, I already know. So, you had a second kid, and you you know you've you've had a, a hernia, and yeah. you uh, went on a driver awareness guy. You know the things that have happened in my life. They they already know, so I can just ask them. And and I, I you know it, it's that I guess that thing about being. Relatable. One of the one of the nicest compliments I think I've had wasn't even from me. It was in the uh, in the last show or the one before. I think it was, and because I had mentioned my wife a number of times and funny things that she had done, this woman just sat like sort of second row. I just heard her go, "I love his wife." <laughs> and, and it was, really nice, you know, it was really nice, that she just, that she came across the way she did sure. in the stories that I tell about her, you sure. know.
0: Yeah, and they feel, and people feel like they know you and they yeah, know your family, it and, they, they and it's
1: weird because it. so, like I, I went we with a couple of other companies, we, we climbed Ben Nevis on Monday, and then we were sitting in a, in a in a bar afterwards, just had a having a swift half before before coming home, and the guy next had he'd been to the show, and he's like uh, Sahara Cosmo and Magnus, who are my yeah. kids, you know, and it's like at first oh, this is a bit. But you forget that you are sharing this information with people. Sure. You know? are,
0: there, are there any drawbacks? Are there any downsides to being so sort of nakedly open with your with your life? I don't know. I'm do Your sure you...
1: identity theft will probably become an issue <laughs> at some point. But are you, I
0: mean, do you ever? Does it ever cross your mind that uh, people will know your children as your children grow up? They might, they, you know, there might be stuff on YouTube about Still, you talking about them.
1: Yeah, but not in a horrible way. And will come a point because I know John Bishop has come up against this now. His kids I have think. reached an age now. Where he, it's not fair for him to do stuff about them anymore because they're at school and people know who his dad is and stuff like that. Okay. He was doing stuff about them before, where they were kind of anonymous figures, and and it, you know, and I, obviously that'll happen. But like, I mean, I like like Bill Cosby is a classic example. He's, I mean, he's a master of the art, and he still, he really still has got it at, at, the, at this stage, and he has this lovely thing where he talks about his family like we all know them. He's talking mm. about his wife Camille, and you know, and it's just really I, I like that. I, I aspire to be like that, you know.
0: You mentioned uh, uh, a moment ago when I mentioned those sort of people like Mickey Flanagan and that, and you said, oh, you know, that's why they're more successful than <laughs> I am. And you also had a, a line, I think, in uh, your different class show uh, where you were talking about um, the spare DVDs you had left over. Yeah. From, there, there was some, some reference to the fact that you were, you were exploring the idea that you were sort of successful and famous. Not but quite. somewhere I had an
1: in-betweeny thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So how do, you, how do you feel about your level of success? Do I you... think
1: I'm exactly where I deserve to be. I think I am. I think I am. I th- you know what? I've had four star reviews across the board for this show, and yeah. I think that's fair. I think it's a. You know, I am not going. Oh, this is a five star show. These people are idiots. So going, yeah, four. No, that's fair. That's fair. And if I had a three star review, I'd be like, oh, that's a bit harsh. You know? Okay. I'm a I'm a four star comedian, and a four. I, I make it. I make a handsome living out of being a four star comedian. I think that's uh, Have, you, have and you? It's not like I don't aspire to greatness. You know, I just i i'm 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 aware of my own limitations. I and have you
0: always been? Were you kind of burning passionately for five star reviews, and you didn't get them, and so you l- sort of accommodated that? No,
1: I mean in '98 when I got I got nominated for the Perrier, and I got I got five star reviews for most of the publications, you know, and, and that was great, you know. And I, 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 and you shouldn't care about these things, but I'm shallow and I do. Mm-hmm. So, so, but and also, but uh, the thing is, all right, an individual reviewer's opinion. You can say it doesn't matter, but when mm-hmm. they all when there's a consensus, mm-hmm. I think it's fair enough to take that on board, you know. And if I mean, I was here in 2004, and I got I, I got a hammering, and I went, oh, you know, and I hadn't been doing it for a while, and I'd I'd gotten lazy, and I'd, mm. I was living high on the carphone warehouse money, and you know, and I was I'd taken my foot off the gas, and so I came back in 2006, renewed and revigored. and you know, and and since then the, the shows have gotten consistently much better than they were then. And I think you do have to, to a certain extent, listen to your critics because, you know, they watch a lot of comedy, most of them. And it's very easy to go, oh, critics, what do they know? Well, some of them at least know some. And if, and if they all say the same thing, then I think, you, as I say, you've got to take that on board. So do they're you, do all you... saying it's four stars and they're right.
0: <laughs> do you read the reviews when yeah. you're up here during the process? I do, yeah. Okay. And, How... and,
1: and, and a lot of comedians do and say that they don't and some genuinely don't. But, yeah, I do
0: and do you do you engage with that do you do you sort of take it on board would you ever change something because I say annoyed. three reviews came out that hammered one particular point would you think I should change that or would you ignore it um
1: yeah I, I probably would but then you also get feedback through you know other sources like twitter and things like that as well you know or my wife who is a publicist and so has her ear to the ground with you know journalists and stuff like that and i think any kind of um, and talking to people who've been to the show, you yeah. know, you, any kind of feedback. You, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm happy to go. Yeah, maybe that's. But the 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 best feedback is when you're actually on stage and you're going, that's not working, so you cut it out. Sure. I had a bit that I was really enjoying doing. It's just not flying because it's just too long and too wordy, and people are going to go, eh, yeah, that's a good point, and that's all it gets. <laughs> so I just dropped it. Okay. Which was about the fact that. About how, about how uh, intense and angry people get over what I think to be meaningless things, whether it's the football team they support, or their flag, or their cross, or you know, the picture of their prophet, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That there's, a, there's a process in uh, training a dog called loading the clicker, where every time you click the clicker, you give the dog a treat, and the dog it, it just—it it so intrinsically links the the treat to the clicker that the clicker now is all required. You don't have to give the dog a treat anymore because dogs are smart. Well, they're not that mm-hmm. fucking smart, right? But we do it to ourselves. We do it to ourselves, we, but we imbue meaningless things with importance. We decide we, we're going to follow that football team and that's just what, that, and that's all we're going to care about. Or we decide we're going to follow that religion or we decide that that flag is our national flag. And Whenever somebody gets really, really irate because you burnt their flag or you drew a picture of their prophet or you slagged off their football team, whenever somebody gets really, really annoyed by these things, I always think, you'd make a really good pet. <laughs> and it's one of those, yeah, it's a good point. I like what you've done there. It's not that funny though. So, you know, okay, okay. So, just so going, you do have quite boom, you've I'll just got boot that.
0: quite high quality control, as a you know you're happy to.
1: Yeah, and you play you trade things off, and that you'll go, you'll be something that's just completely meaningless and just is funny, and that, that that's great. And you try and you you like to have things that where you're making a point. Like I say, my thing about the work shy, I'm very happy with. I think it's a very funny bit and it's mm. a very funny funny concept where I basically my point. But I'm not going to do the whole thing. But my point is that they're trying to cap benefits to get the work shy. You know, into the workplace, and I said that's a terrible idea because that's where they can do the most damage. You know, mm-hmm. and sure. my whole thing is to get the work shy out of the workplace and onto the fucking doll, where they won't be in my way anymore. You know, that's and that's 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 kind of the point of it. Sure, and it it's a really I love it because it's a really weird angry rant against work shy people. That's really very left wing because it's like we should make the doll more attractive, but it's really very right wing and that I completely fucking hate people who are lazy. So sure. it's a really interesting bit, and people are cheering, and it's almost like I'm not quite sure what I'm cheering for. Yeah. You know, I, but i will follow this man sure okay. you know, i that i'm really enjoying
0: okay know. we've uh, we've just got a few minutes left i want to give uh, the audience a chance to ask questions if anyone would like to ask a question um normally and there's a bit of a pause here while people look at me blankly as many of you are doing <laughs> so i'll ask another question while you have a chance to <laughs> think some up look at um, that
1: see that's a classic that's that's learning from experience that is yeah <laughs>
0: you're too right um so I wanted to ask, uh, I, I, I'm sure you've been asked before your advice for new comedians. That comes up a lot. I'd like to ask you your advice for comedians who are sort of mid-level, who've been going for a while, say five, six, seven years in. What's your advice for, for people in that situation?
1: Um, the kind of advice I would offer would not be something people would want to hear, which would be wait before you just do anything that the TV throws at you. That's exactly the advice they want to hear. That's great advice. But it's the complete opposite of what I did, you know. Okay. I mean, I just, when I was new, I I just did anything, you know. And in a way, it helps, certainly in the short to medium term, to just do whatever comes your way. Because you just, if you're playing the club circuit and you get on stage and and you've been on Call My Bluff or whatever, Mm. people don't remember what it is they've seen you on. But people just kind of go, okay, he's familiar. And that gets that gets And that just gives you a little bit extra... That they, that they just assume, oh, he's probably quite funny because I okay. think I've seen him on TV, but I can't remember what on. Okay. You know, so that sort of getting your face out there. At the time, that was what I felt. Gotcha. My okay. point. yes. But I would say now, looking back, don't just do anything that is offered to you.
0: Okay. I had heard, and I, I heard this credited to Phil Jupiter, but I've not spoken to him. I don't know if he said it, but I, I, I'd heard that an act called him Phil had said if you want to be on TV you need to start being on TV you need to be one of the people that's on TV so that mm-hmm. you get considered for other TV stuff
1: yes and and that's certainly and and that is a weird it's a constant trade off and I still am today I'm doing things that I'm not entirely comfortable with because I'm on tour and I need to sell tickets Okay. Or because I want to do another TV show and I need to be known and trying to keep the channel sweet and stuff like that. Okay. And it's a horrible, grubby aspect of the industry sure. that you kind of have to just play the game of. I mean, yeah, fine, if you're Ricky Gervais and you write an award-winning sitcom, you don't have to do that shit. Mm-hmm. But if you're me, if you're a four-star comedian, you, just, <laughs> you need you need to play this game if you want to, you know, you know, eventually segue into... Uh, uh, having a show about climbing mountains. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you sure. Know, whatever it is. Okay,
0: okay, great. Thank you. Um, we, we can just take a couple of questions before we wind up over here. If you just, I'll, I'll need to repeat it for the sake of the recording, but ask away. Um, so when you first, sorry, I'm not quite sure what you mean. Do you mean like picking subjects in advance and trying to write about them?
1: Did I find myself gravitated towards particular subjects? And how did I eventually break free of the uh, subjects I was originally? gravitated towards. I did. At, at, when at first I, it was very ladsy, my material, you know. And I'm performing in late night, you know, drinky venues. And uh, you know, c- coming to the fringe, you know, I, I was here in '94, you know, doing "So You Think You're Funny" and then doing a few gigs at like the Fringe Club and stuff like that, and real sort of bare pit gigs. And you're doing stuff that's going to please that crowd. And I was doing stuff about smoking and drinking and shagging and fighting, and that was, you know, and. Pretty much being bad at all of them, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, so I I, I gravitated towards I, I I would say probably just fairly not I guess easy subjects that people just just things that were in everyday people's lives that people could relate to, but I think I, I there's no there's no desire to get away from those subjects. I think again the the, the key to, to to good comedy is 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 because there's that thing of oh that subject is hack, but you can be the person who has the best routine. On that subject, you know, I I'm flattering myself now, but it was somebody I said that I've been told I have the best routine about airlines losing your luggage, you know, and it's a hack route, it's a it's a hack subject. Airlines losing your luggage, or, or airlines, but again, Louis CK has a beautiful routine about yeah. about, about about disembarking aircraft. Yeah, in a way, the, other comedians go, oh, I'm not touching that subject because it's just been done. But if you really know what you're doing, you can still find something new in a subject people have have tackled before. So there's no subjects that I would shy away from, because they're unoriginal subjects. I think if you put a personal spin on them, mm-hmm. on getting married and having kids, stuff that people have been talking about for a long time, then you'll still find something new.
0: We've probably just got time for about one more. So, do you have uh, pre-show, or we know that you do,
1: uh, have, pre-show, <laughs> have
0: pre-show rituals, but... Uh, man they, watches me, he do knows. They, do they change depending on the size of the type of the gig?
1: No, they don't change depending on the size, uh, size of the gig, certainly. Uh, but... I Like, for instance, the first couple of shows here in Edinburgh, I was more nervous and more trying to concentrate on remembering all the stuff. So I'm just a bit more contemplative, I guess you could say. Uh, but other than that, there is a massive... I did for a while... I, for a while there, I would play a game, whether I had like an Xbox with me or an iPad or something like that. I stopped doing that because it just... Fa- I found... I got too frustrated beforehand. <laughs> like, I'm, 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 you're supposed to play games to relax, but I just play games, and a lot of the time they just fucking annoy me. Like, you're playing Angry Birds, you're like, I can't figure this out. You're due on stage five minutes ago. fuck! You know, so I, I've stopped doing that. Uh, but no, I don't. I, I generally have a beer before I go on and have another one and bring it on with me. I don't like to go on stage with anything in my pockets. Yeah. It's just one of those little things. Um, but that's... That, that's really about it. I don't, I don't, I, you know, turn around three times or or anything like that. And I don't, I don't have vocal warm up exercises or anything. What I do like to do is I always have, particularly when, when I'm on tour or doing a one man show, is uh, I I have pre show music. It's one of my favourite things. Getting ready for a festival, is putting together a playlist of twenty minutes to half an hour to play to the audience as they're coming in and I I love that and I always like to and that's to get me in the mood and them in the mood and that's one of my favourite things so I'm generally Mm. dancing behind the stage before I go on and air guitar
0: that seems like a lovely place to end it and uh, (laughs) unfortunately that's what time uh, means that we have to do thank you very much ladies and gentlemen Mr Ed Byrne so that was Ed Thanks to him for coming along and applying himself to that so readily. I, I really think we got loads out of Ed there. Um, Crowd Pleaser by Ed Byrne, a previous show of his, is available on audible.co.uk. And if you go to audible.co.uk slash cc for Comedians Comedian and sign up there, you can get a copy for free. You get a free gift uh, when you sign up for a trial. Um, plus, you can support this podcast at the same time. If you go via slash cc, then uh, they give us a little kickback. So do that. That would be my advice my partial advice I sh- advice i should say in that it is not impartial Thanks to everyone. Thanks to Ed for coming on the show. Thanks to Pete Jones and James Lowry for their technical assistance. Thanks to Sarah Grun for her help with today's Podmin. And this episode was co-produced by Nathan Wood. Who is this Nathan Wood guy I keep mentioning? He's a really good dude that's helping me edit the shows together, saving me loads of valuable time by doing things like converting tracks and making it all sound better than it was before, than I could possibly make it sound. And thanks to your donations, I have been able to pay him a tiny bit of cash. Huzzah! So, do keep them coming if you can at comedianscomedian.com. Tweet me at ComcomPod. Tell your friends, spread the word all over their faces, and then lick it off. Sorry, it's all this Benelin. I'm going peculiar. Speak to you soon. Bye for now.